0: So this week, it was kind of brought home to me, my ingratitude in a certain moment this week. Uh, You know, there are Starbucks coffee drinkers, there's McDonald coffee drinkers, there's what else? There's Cracker Barrel coffee, you know, you name it. And from growing up, I guess, in Virginia Beach, I was a 7-Eleven coffee drinker. And uh, not that theirs is any better, but um, just, you know, that Seven Eleven is on the way to the church. And so um, I like to stop there and get some coffee. And this week, uh, one of the days when I was going by there and stopped, went in, did my, you know, thing, got my coffee and and uh, resisted the donut thing there. You know, that's really, it's the donuts, but I've tried to resist those. The coffee's incidental. Yeah, but so I went in there, got my coffee and uh, paid for it and there was some uh, young ladies in there, and they actually, just kind of the way they, you know how you continue, have you ever been around Christians, and you didn't know it, but you just sensed that person's a believer, or that group is, you know, I don't know, I can't explain it, it's nothing weird, but I just kind of sensed that, and and uh, very modest uh, young ladies there, and they were buying their stuff and talking, and, and as we were leaving, we all kind of left kind of at the same time, and one of the young women, who had opened the door for the other young ladies to come out Uh, I just happened to be next there and she held the door open for me and and I walked out now uh my wife will tell you that sometimes my mind isn't always in the moment sometimes it's you know thinking about something else and as I walked by uh her I was oblivious I had my coffee I was thinking about what I was going to do when I got here and as I walked by here she just very quietly said you're welcome Oh, that. Oh. Ouch. Been there, done that? Maybe somebody didn't say it. Maybe you were the one saying, Welcome, you're welcome. And as I drove off, and I'd just been thinking about that all the week, I thought, man, what a jerk, you know, just, uh, just, but she wasn't being uh, smart or anything. She just was kind of like, you know, you're welcome. And uh, thankfulness. I I want to be thankful. I hope that I am. I hope I'm more thankful than I was a year ago. I hope I'm more thankful than I was 10 years ago. I hope that as I grow in grace, and that's what we're doing. We're growing in the grace of God, Dan, right? It's a daily process that as we grow in grace, that we are growing in thankfulness. Because one of the things that goes with being a person who knows the grace of God, one of the evidences is you're thankful. I was really blessed by the spontaneous, unplanned, even with the kids. I couldn't see all who did it, but I heard their little voices. And just the thankfulness for things that you and I might take for granted. Thankful that I had a place to to stay. That's a big deal when you don't have a place to stay. Or you know what that's like. Thankfulness. Sometimes hardship. Not sometimes, most of the time. Hardship and suffering, one of the things it produces, if you see me constantly looking down because I have a fear that I'm going to step off of here and that's all you're going to remember all day is me... (laughs) (coughs) Falling out not under the spirit out of not paying attention, um, so that's the reason I'm kind of making sure my foot now my wife's watching me now because she knows I'll do it and uh, but but being thankful for everything that God has done in your life, Jesse, good to see you back, brother good to see you back there that as you begin to account God's daily blessings, even in the little things, the fact that you had a bed to sleep in. Maybe you've always had a bed to sleep in. Some of the folks that you know and Mike and Teresa knows and others know and Rhonda knows that having a bed is sometimes a luxury or what you call a bed, let's put it that way. Um, Having a place, having shelter over your head, having some food and not just food but food that you like, you know, Food that you like, not just what you had to get this month or this week, but things that you like, just those little odds and end things you get at the grocery stores. My dad and I, when I was a kid, we had a thing for pinwheel cookies. How many of you know what those are? Those chocolate, they got smaller through the years, didn't they? They're like sliders. Some of you up north know what a slider is. And... Uh, no, I won't buy them because I think they're too high. <laughs> you know, I'm I'll buy the dollar 1000 cookies, you know, lemon cookies, but but you know, we like we like those things and to have those little luxuries is a blessing. And to stop and just say thank you, Lord, for that I could walk, thank you for the the report at the doctor. But you know, sometimes thankfulness even is God, that isn't the report I wanted to hear. But yet, I'm going to thank you. As Don said, not because of what I got, but I thank you because of who you are. I'm thankful. And so this morning, we're going to talk about thankfulness. One of the things, the hallmarks of a believer, as I said, is an attitude of gratitude. Paul said, and just this is just introduction, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3 that that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For, talking about the last days. We've been in the last days ever since Jesus ascended, okay? One of the last days, from the time Jesus ascended, there in Acts 1, to the time that he comes again, that whole little section's the last days, okay? So, that's where we are. We're in those last days. Is the last days for me? Well, at some point it will be. But he says that one of the characteristics in the last of the last days, how about that? There will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Something about a person, whether you're watching on TV or even in your own family, who has an attitude of ingratitude. They're just ungrateful. Now, listen parents, we know what that's like with kids because kids, just like we be kids at one time, we're wired selfishly. That's that's the way we're we're wired. Plus sin consumes us with ourselves and as our kids grow and they're growing into adulthood and they you do things for them, you bless them, and you say You're welcome, like the girl at the door, right? You're welcome, you know, that 100 bucks I slipped into your bank account or in your door, whatever, you know, that didn't, I didn't print that in the back room, you know, that. You're welcome. And we understand that because our kids are growing. But there comes a place in their level of maturity that you shouldn't have to do that. You just say, you know what, that guy, that gal, they just are ungrateful. They're just ungrateful. That pains us. And yet, as we look at ourselves, even in that moment at the 7-Eleven getting coffee, I realize, you know what? I've got a lot of room to grow in my thankfulness. One of the ways that ingratitude seeps out is in things that we complain about and how much we complain. I don't have this, or I don't like this, or I want this, or I wish I had... Sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. Ingratitude is one of those things that Paul says is characteristic of unbelievers in Romans chapter 1, where he said and talks about their lack of thankfulness. So, we're going to talk about and look in Luke chapter 17, and I invite you to stand as we, I'll read it, you can read in your Bible. I'll have it on the screen to um, we're going to work on getting that a little bigger. That was my fault there. But uh, you can just uh, quietly read along and using the ESV, the English Standard Version, or you can read along in your, your version as well. But let's read. Uh, follow it with me. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. Say Ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Say, turn back. Praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, This man who came back, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through his word. Father, we ask that you speak to us, talk to us today through your spirit and through your holy book, the Bible, the word of God. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let me share with you Four observations from this passage four observations or principles that I think will help us, help me as I studied to be thankful to have an attitude of gratitude. Uh, I started to call this sermon uh, don't be a turkey, be thankful, but Melanie and my wife didn't weren't amused by that, so I skipped it and uh but let's look at some of these. Number, we're talking about giving thanks. Number one is remain thankful in difficult circumstances. That's the kind of thankfulness that's faith thankfulness, faith. You realize that these men, they were lepers. Now, we won't go into all the graphic detail of leprosy But the physical ramifications of leprosy were horrendous. I believe today they call it Hansen's disease. But in this period of time, almost 2,000 or over 2,000 years ago, when medical procedures and medicines and things were almost non-existent, you realize during the ministry of Jesus during his time, he almost wiped out disease throughout Palestine, throughout Galilee, through that area. You realize that? But this was very archaic understanding of, or lack of understanding about leprosy. And so these men were lepers. That was a disease that... uh, was a, was, I mean, it was a skin disease that was uh, oftentimes made the white uh, skin a pasty white, the skin would rot, uh, there'd be a lack of sensation in the nerve endings. Um, it, it could take 30 years to run its course, and what would happen is different parts of the body would just lose the, the um, uh, blood and that the, the leprosy would take over, and, and literally pieces of your body would fall off, and you wouldn't even know it. You wouldn't even know it. And of course, if you know the Old Testament, you know that in Leviticus 13, there was very, and Leviticus 13 and 14, there was very specific guidelines under the Jewish system. And that's, in Jesus' day, they're, even though they're under Roman rule, they're still culturally operating under that Jewish culture and system and laws, and there were very specific guidelines of how to handle a leper or a person with leprosy in the community. Uh, one of the things that um, well, let me let her say it, Beth Moore uh, in her book, Jesus the One and Only, tells of a time when she visited a leper colony um, that still in her existence. Existence. Some many of them are in India still, and something in her she wanted to minister so badly. She remembers in Matthew eight when Jesus reached out and what did he do to the leper? That was radical. He touched him. Yeah, and she wanted so bad to minister to these people suffering with leprosy, and she saw those suffering, and she she so bad wanted to go into where they were. But she says she couldn't. And the reason she couldn't was because the smell was so overwhelming that she thought, I can't go in there and pray for these people and get violently ill as I pray. That's not a good thing, right? And so she didn't go in and she just felt so, so bad and, and so uh, disappointed. Imagine the emotion emotional trauma a leper would have. I mean, the, the, the thing that would happen, according to Jewish law, is they had to be separated immediately from everybody. Family, friends, I mean, once that was discovered or the first sign of leprosy, they couldn't come within 50 feet or more of an individual. And not only that, they were tortured that everywhere they went, They had to remind themselves and everyone else of what their issue was because they had to yell, leper, leper, to warn. If a faithful or clean Jew couldn't see them, they could hear them and be warned. And so it was constantly the emotional trauma added to that physical pain. Imagine what it would have been like for us to be removed from family and friends it would have been terrible and the Bible says in Luke 17 that Jesus was on his way passing along between Samaria and Galilee and he was met not by one leper this time but by 10 lepers and it says in, uh, that they stood at a distance we understand why that is and they lifted up their voices but this time they weren't lifting up their voices crying out leper leper maybe they heard about that man that was healed of leprosy. And this time, instead of crying out to Jesus, leper, leper, they said, you know what? We're tired of this. We heard this guy can do something about it. And they said, Jesus, have mercy on us or heal us. We don't want to be like this anymore jesus we want to be will and jesus responds again jesus being faithful to the law responds how he gives him one of his prayer cloths okay i'm gonna have to alert you when i use my humor that's a joke okay we'll probably make a slide joke coming joke ended okay it's okay he didn't have prayer cloths all right uh, he didn't touch him. He didn't give him some special anointing oil. I was watching somebody the other night for a few minutes, and if you write to them, and they'll send you this oil, and then they mail it back, and they mix it with their oil, and somehow that makes prayers more effectual. That's nonsense, guys. That's gimmickry. That's Roman Catholicism, really, if you think about it. You know, i got to do something and do it with the... No, Jesus didn't do it. What did he tell him? He said, go back to the priest's go back to the priest and let him know that you're that you've been healed. Now, just hang with me. The local priest was more than just officiating Sabbath services. The local priest in the Jewish culture was kind of almost like a health official because again, everything was governed by the law, the Jewish law. And so the local priest was kind of a general practitioner of a lot of things, legal issues, spiritual issues, counseling issues, and even in regards to health issues, and especially in regards to leprosy. And it was up to the priest to inspect his body or her body to evaluate whether they could be declared Clean and be integrated back into society. You with me? That was what that priest's role was to do. So Jesus said, Go back to the priests, go see the priests, and if the priests, in the legal system, in the cultural system, if the priest declared you well, if he got you a note, then you're good to go. That's what Jesus told him to do. Go show yourselves to the priests. They looked at their bodies. <clears throat> Wait a minute. My hand is, half of it's here still. This, this crutch that I'm on, half of my part of my leg is still missing. I mean, what, what about this? I thought you told me this guy was a healer. Jesus doesn't describe, prescribe medicine. He doesn't touch them. He doesn't make them quote the Ten Commandments. He doesn't make them do anything. He just says, what? Go show yourselves to the priests. Now the only reason those lepers would go show themselves to the priests is if they had been healed. And notice yet, they're not healed yet. But the Bible says that as they headed off in search of the priests, the Bible says in verse 14, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests, and as what? As they were as they were going, they were what? They were healed. As they were going, as they were going in obedience, all of a sudden something happened. That withered hand began to appear. The skin condition, the pasty, white, smelly skin, all of a sudden was like baby skin. All of a sudden, as they are going in obedience to what Jesus said the miracle takes place. And they get excited. Wouldn't you be excited? I'd be excited. I'd be real excited. I'd be overjoyed. I'd be high-fiving everybody. But don't miss this. In order for the miracle to happen, these men had to do something. The miracle came from Jesus. But Don't ever miss the fact that often, not always, but often, the work that God does in our life is conditioned upon our response, a response of faith. If you if you believe. So as they started walking, their circumstances weren't changed, but they began to act in faith before the circumstances changed and in the act of obedience, the miracle took place. Obeying and remaining thankful in difficult circumstances. The reason that's important is because one of the things that plagues and has always plagued Christianity, the church, is this passive sense of our faith where we just... You know, we we want to receive everything that God has for us. We want everything God has for us. But you know what? Don't really expect anything out of us. Don't really, you know, really we don't want to do anything. We're willing to receive, but don't expect anything out of us. Don't 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 expect us to do anything. We you know, we'll take whatever you have, Jesus. But This is not a passive faith that Jesus is showing us. This is a faith, the faith, the mountain-moving faith. Listen to this. Our faith moves mountains when our faith moves us. These guys really believed, and even though they didn't have the evidence, they acted. Jesus Jesus is saying this way, Go show yourself to the priests and act as if you've already been healed. And you know what? That's what they did. And as they were going, the miracle took place. That's good advice for us who are in the in-between and in the difficulty of circumstances in life. And yet we're called to be thankful even though we don't have the answer we don't see the evidence of that which we are trusting and believing god for god calls us to remain and to be thankful in spite of those circumstances you see we want to put this is somebody said it this way faith faith is belief plus unbelief. But yet, faith is acting on the belief part. Faith isn't suspending reality. Faith is just choosing to respond to the belief side of that which is unknown. Faith is trusting in God and God alone for the circumstance even when we don't see any evidence. We don't see anything. Do you remember what the writer of at the end of Habakkuk, wrote, I'm going to read it to you. Make a note of it and read it sometime. The, at the end of the book of Habakkuk, you say, where in the world is Habakkuk? Is that one of those Book of Mormon books? Is that the Apocrypha? Where is that? No, it's what they call it's one of the smaller prophet books. They call them the minor prophets, not because they couldn't make it to the majors or the AAA League. That ain't why they're called minor prophets. It's just because they're smaller books, you know? And at the end of the book of Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk writes this. And what I love about Habakkuk is he's questioning God's, he's questioning God's ways. Now, I know we've never done that. But he's questioning and saying, God, why are you doing this? And when God says kind of why he's doing it, he says, well, I don't like the way you're doing that. And essentially, you know what God does in Habakkuk? it isn't that God ever answers his question. You know what God does kind of like Job. He just pulls him back and shows him who God really is. And when Job and Habakkuk get a vision of who God is, they're kind of like, "Whoa. Okay. <laughs> I don't have to understand. I'll just I'll just do whatever you I'll do it even though I don't understand it." Listen to what Habakkuk 3. Some of you need to write this down. Habakkuk 3:17 And verse 18, at the end of everything, there is this sense of thankfulness. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there not even be any herd in the stalls verse 18 says, yet, 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 I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what, contrary to what some would have you to, sometimes there is no evidence to hang on to. But he's saying in spite of the lack of evidence, actually in the preponderance of a lack of evidence, that's when I'm going to make a decisive decision, and I'm going to rejoice in God. I'm going to be thankful to God. I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to give God thanks and praise, even when there's no visible evidence to do it. I'm going to give him praise anyway. That's like those lepers are saying, you know what? Okay, we'll take you your word. And off they went. And as they went, the miracle happened. Jesus says, act as if the miracle already took place. Be thankful in difficult circumstances. You remember Corey ten Boom? The book, the movie, The Hiding Place? There's a, there's a wonderful story that she tells in her book. Of course, Cory ten Boom was... And her family were arrested by the Nazis, and because they were uh, leading Jews to safety and harboring Jews uh, to protect them from the Nazis, and eventually they themselves got caught. Uh, I remember. Uh, how many remember the movie? How many remember the movie? I remember one scene when the Nazis came into the little apartment where they were, and underneath the dining room table was a rug, and that was the, the door that went under, I guess, the, the apartment where they kept a lot of these Jews to try to keep them as long for safety. And when the Nazis, uh, SS guards, Gestapo came in there, they said, look, we know you're hiding Jews. Where are they? And the father said, oh, yeah, right, right we've got them under the table. There was no... You know, tablecloth. was just, and they thought he was just being smart. Well, he didn't lie. And they kind of hit him around because they thought he was being smart. But he said, Oh, yeah, right. We're hiding him under the dining room table. Great movie. Faith encouraging. But when they were in this concentration camp, eventually the Nazis were on to them. They got arrested. The whole family was taken to Ravensbrück concentration camp, where several of our family members uh, suffered and. Some died, and one morning, while they were in this barrack, she and her sister Betsy, Cory Boom and her sister Betsy, were in this, these barracks, and the barracks were very crowded and infested with fleas. You get the idea? Disease, smell, and fleas. It's bad enough to be smelly and crowded, but to add fleas. Y'all like fleas, huh? I mean... If you got dogs, you know how much you hate fleas. And one morning in their devotions in this concentration camp, from their ragged little Bible that had just bits and pieces put together, they read from 1 Thessalonians that the reminder that the Bible says to rejoice in all things. They read that. And so Betsy, Cory Timboom's sister, said, You know what? I believe that we should be thankful for the fleas. And Corey said, are you crazy thankful for the fleas? We got bites. We, I don't want to be thankful for the fleas, she said. But it says, be thankful in all things. And they began to give the Lord thanks for even the fleas. Well, what they found out years later, Don, was that the guards hated to go in those barracks. You know why? Because of the fleas. And they were able to have some privacy, have a little bit more time to read their Bible, pray, be with one another, because the guards didn't hassle them because they didn't like the fleas. Be thankful even in those things that you don't necessarily want or like. Somewhere, somehow, God promises that he will use all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. All right, the first point's the longest one, so don't panic, all right? Secondly... Release, release thankfulness as worship. When we're thankful, what we did here just today and just that that was, I believe that was pleasing to the Lord. When we're thankful, God responds because it's part of worship. This kind of thankfulness is worship. The first one is act is faith. This is worship. Look at verse 15 of Luke 17. Then one of them, one of them, When he saw, that means that the healing was definitely visible. When he saw that he was healed, what did he do? He turned back. He did a U-turn. I've done more U-turns in Lakeland than I have in my whole life. He did a U-turn on 98 and it says he turned back praising God with what what does it say with a loud voice he was used to talking loud you know if you are if you are used to i've known people who've um, who are hard of hearing or have hearing uh, imperfections and and Sometimes when they get a hearing aid or, you know, that operation where they get the implant, uh, I know there's a name for it, but I'm not going to try to attempt it, but, but all of a sudden they still talk loud because that's the way they're used to talking. The lepers were used to screaming all day long, what? Leper! Leper! So what do you think he's going to yell when he gets healed? What do you think he's going to do? Ah, Jesus, listen, I'm, uh, I'm from the first church of the quiet, passive, religious order. And I just want to tell you, I, I appreciate it because I'm a dignified person. Is that what he No. Man, he is screaming. Thank you, Jesus. And he, all of a sudden, one out of the nine, sees what has happened. And instead of just saying, hey, in this great, let's go and get to be with our families and get back to what we were doing. and But the one just stops dead in his tracks. He says, wait, I can't go on. I got to go back. Because there's something that's happened to me greater than this healing. I need to go back to this man that he didn't even touch me. He didn't do anything. He just... He healed me by his power of who he is. I've got to go back and thank him. I didn't even thank him. Just like me rushing out the door of 7-Eleven with my half-regular, half Colombian coffee. Oblivious to someone just doing an act of kindness. He said, i got to go back. You know what's cool is... Um, in the original language which New Testament was written in Greek. The word used for a loud voice is phonomegalae. That's the word we get megaphone from. Does that give you a description of what kind of voice he gave? He was the megaphone of praise and worship to God. His voice was a megaphone of praise to God at what he had done. Guys, we don't need to be quiet and still we need to be, when I say loud, I don't mean loud in in some goofy, crazy way that draws attention to ourselves. You know, we always have to be careful. Worship isn't about us. And if we're doing stuff in our worship that's drawing attention to ourselves, we got to kind of back up a little bit. But he, he was oblivious to anybody else. He just wanted to focus and give thanks and praise to Christ. I like the woman who told Charles Spurgeon, She was a woman that Charles Spurgeon, the pastor in London Metropolitan Baptist Church in the 1800s. And as she began to understand the gospel, she began to get so excited and said, Oh, Pastor Spurgeon, if Jesus Christ saves me, he will never hear the end of it. Listen, this leper made sure he would never hear the end of it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Is it still amazing? Or is it just... Yeah, yeah, been there, done that, got the shirt. Is it amazing? It's amazing. John uh, Newton, when he wrote that, he was a slave trader. A slave trader of human beings. And he wrote Amazing Grace and never got over the grace that was amazing. Don't miss one other little part here. That's very important. Jesus says, were there not were there not nine and only one has come back I think it's fair to say that Jesus, is, Jesus notices those who come back and say thank you there's an interesting verse just may, jot it down read it Malachi 3.16 now, I know some of you just immediately had trauma because when you hear Malachi you think that the pastor is going to mention something about tithing Okay, that's not going to happen. But Malachi 3.16, in fact, if you have your Bibles, turn over to Malachi 3.16, a neat verse. But according to Malachi 3.16, the things we say concerning what the Lord has done for us, how he's blessed us, his faithfulness, are written, the Bible says, in a book of remembrance. Now, if you remember in the book of Esther, And if you don't remember the book of Esther, maybe you remember the movie One Night with the King. Sometimes we, I get those confused. I'll quote something and then later learn that, wait a minute, I was thinking of the movie. That's not in the Bible. You know, it kind of happens that way. But in Esther chapter 6, the king calls and asks for the book of remembrance to be brought to him that recorded the good acts and good deeds that were done in his Kingdom, and it was there that he discovered the good deeds that the Jew Mordecai had done, and called Haman and said, "Hey, what are we going to do about this guy? And we got to honor him." That messed up Haman's whole plan. The book of Remembrance. You with me? That's where. But in Malachi three sixteen, look at this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention. And heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who, what? Feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now, we're not talking about work salvation. We're talking about, listen, as parents, what do we do? We have our first child. Unfortunately, the second, third child, they suffer. First child, you're you're writing down, you're taking pictures, you're writing every little thing they bring home from Sunday school whatever. The second child, uh, there was an episode on The Middle. How many of you know the TV show The Middle? I love that show. And Brick was upset at his mom because she couldn't reproduce all his little things that he had. And she had boxes of the older brother. And so she actually tried to pass off a neighbor's little trinket that was made at school for her son because, you know, he's the third one in the, in the order. But as parents, what do we do? We have books of remembrances for our children, right? Things that they do. And so if the Lord is recording and has books with my words of gratitude and thankfulness and my walk and growth of his children, I wonder if the books that he has, there's some saints that have books that are multi-volumes because they have a never-ending voice of giving thanks to Jesus. He has to buy new shelves, put those books up of so-and-so because they just can't stop thanking him enough. Kind of like that prostitute that came to Jesus. Remember when he told the host and said, hey, you didn't even welcome me. You didn't even wash my feet. You didn't offer, say if I want anything to drink. And yet, she who has so much—look she, how she's honored me. Remember that. Some of us, I hope, have volumes. But then there may be some of us, maybe me. We don't need volumes. It's a little pamphlet. Worse yet, it's a sticky note of just what were the books of remembrance. When Jesus said, um, when he told that, that prostitute, he says, he says, when I came to your house, I quoted earlier, but I want to read it. When I came to your house, he told the host, you didn't greet me with or, or a kiss or even wash my feet. But when this woman came in, and that's Luke 7, Jesus noticed what she did. I think God notices, pays attention to those who are thankful. The third is remember that thankfulness, remember to show action with thankfulness. One leper came back. Look at verse 15 and 16 again. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. In the midst of celebration, he caught himself. And he returned to Jesus. And in the simplest sense, his thankfulness had feet to it. It's one thing to be intellectually thankful, doctrinally thankful. But it's when you demonstrate thankfulness, you show thankfulness. Jesus says, verse 17, were not the other nine cleansed, or the ten cleansed, there were nine, but yet one came back. Jesus, while he didn't command them, to do this. It seems from reading it that he expected this response, and he expects it from us. What kind of action is Jesus looking for from you and me? James says, and I like the NIV on this, James two seventeen. James two seventeen and the NIV says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? What kind of faith? dead, dead faith. Jesus said, listen to this, and think of that book of remembrance. Remember when he said in Matthew 25, for I was hungry, and you gave me food? I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then it says the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we see that? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you and clothe you? When did we see that? When did we see you sick or in prison? And Jesus will answer them. Think about that book of remembrance. And the Bible says Jesus will answer him and say, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Action action. Anybody and everybody's got faith. You ever hear about somebody and they're running for office and they say, well, you know, representative so-and-so, he's a man of faith. Faith in what? So what? He's a man of faith. Faith that the sun will come up tomorrow? What does that mean? I want to know what, that, what faith in what? Faith in the sky? Faith in... Action. Action. That's what transcends just the faith of the intellect into Bible faith that has shoe leather to it. Maybe you've been prompted to do something this week, take some action of something and to show thankfulness. This is Thanksgiving Week. We're calendarized to be thankful. Whether we want to or not. Let me suggest real quickly, if you need a little help, write somebody a note of thanks. In this day of emails and text messages, when you get a handwritten note, I pay attention to a handwritten note. Do you? How about write the Lord a handwritten note? And just begin to write as they come to mind the things that you're thankful for the chair you're sitting in, the pen that you can write. Write the Lord a thankful note. What about the last time you thanked your friends, people that serve us here in the church in ministries that we don't see? Um, What about someone who you thanked them for something they didn't even really even know that you noticed, and they didn't do it for that, but you take a moment to say, look, I saw that, what you did. I saw how you or just behind the scenes doing this, or how you bless me. And I want you to know I'm thankful for you. Thank you. Listen, if Jesus could be encouraged, if the heart of Jesus can be encouraged when somebody would come back and say thank you, how much more do you and I need that encouragement? of someone just saying, thank you. Frances Ridley Havergal jotted down every day on a little calendar that she kept something, even a little thing, of something that she was thankful to God for. She would say it was her way of thinking and thanking. Thinking and thanking. And what a wonder that she wrote a great hymn for the church, that we're still singing over 100 years later. Listen to this. You'll recognize it, most of you. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always, only for my king. Take my silver, And my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my moments and my days, let them, and watch this, take my moments and my days and let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Thanksgiving, take my life. Well, the last is reflect, reflect. The grace of God by being thankful. Reflect the grace of God in your life by being thankful. Look with me at our passage real quickly. I want to point to just three different words that bring this home, I think. Look at verse 15. It says, one of them, when he was healed, just stop there on that sentence. One of them, when he was healed, And the word there for healed is the word that we get to mend or repair. It's like a broken bone finally mending. This guy was all patched up. Same person, but three different ways that we can see this. He was all patched up. He was made whole. The gospel does that. It'll bind up the broken. That which has been broken, the gospel, the transforming power of Christ, as a way of mending those broken areas in our life. Amen? Verse 17, we see another little picture here. Jesus says, we're not all ten cleansed. That word cleanse is a different word to give us another aspect for the wholeness of this, this healing. That word for cleanse is the word in the Greek that we get the word catheter. It's a medical term, some of you understand that, from a heart catheter that removes the impurities. When a doctor gives a heart cath, an angioplasty might remove a blockage to an artery. It will cause the healing, okay? It it was part of the healing process. So in the Jewish context, part of the healing is they were declared cleansed. They were declared cleansed. But verse 19 is the word that differentiates what this man experienced versus the other nine. Everybody got healed from their physical circumstance. Leprosy, right? They were all cleansed. They could be declared clean by the priests. But one of them, verse 19, experienced this. Jesus said to this very thankful man, rise and go your faith has made you well now in many study bibles there's a little um footnote where i'm gonna put blankets on people so cold in here see your breath you didn't know we store packaged meat behind here did you Verse 19, it says, your faith has made you well. That term faith that made you well is the word in the Greek sozo, which means saved. Saved. It's the same word Jesus is using, you find it about 60 times in the, in the Gospels. When the Bible says in John 3, For God did not send his own Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be sozoed, saved, through him. That's the word. That's the word in Luke 17, 19, when Jesus says to this man, Stand up and go. Your faith has sozoed. Your faith, you're saved, has saved you. The Greeks would use the word to speak of sailors surviving a dangerous storm. The idea is, like Paul said in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and he goes on to say, you will be sozoed. You will be saved. Now, I don't want you to miss this. The other nine, all ten of them were healed of leprosy. All ten of them could be declared clean legally by the priest. But only one came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Only one, that old gospel hymn, met the master. Only one. You see, those nine kind of represent not only the crowds. Remember in John 6, the crowds? They wanted to make Jesus king because he gave them free food. Right? Right? they want to make him king. We do that. We elect people because they promise us free stuff. We don't have to pay for it. We'll elect them and find out that that's a myth. Things have not changed. But the crowds were there as long as the free stuff. Give me, Jesus. I want whatever you got, Jesus. You want I need healing? I'll take your healing. I'll take your feeding. Yeah, help me this way. Feed, help my family. Do this, do that, do that. Oh, oh, wait a minute worship you, acknowledge you as Lord of my life? Nah, not going to do that. The nine represent many people, not only in the culture, but really in the church, that are only in it to get from God what they can get. But Frank, it's a small group that says, but really what I want is Jesus. Jesus. He's the answer to every need in my life. Only one, only one in this story that Jesus shares came. Everybody heard the message? Everybody enjoyed the benefit of Jesus' power? Everybody basked in the wonder of his miracles and teachings? But only one came. Only few came. In fact, in John 6, thinking about that, remember after he says this radical statement, if you want to be a follower of me, you must, and he wasn't talking about cannibalism, you must eat my flesh, drink my blood. In other words, you've got to partake of everything I am without compromise. And you know what the majority did? In fact, so much he turned to his disciples and said what to them? Around verse 66. Y'all going to go too? Is this tough? Go or stay, but this is what it, it's all about. And I love what Peter said, because Peter got it. He might have missed it a few, but he got it. Remember what he said? Or else can we... As long as you got somewhere else to go, you'll never be saved. You'll go to hell physically healed. You'll go to hell with a fat bank account. You'll go to hell with all your emotional needs fixed up. But if you miss Jesus, it doesn't matter what you hit. That's what it's all about, guys. It's about Jesus and Jesus alone. Where are the other nine? Only one came back. God, help me be that one that's always coming back always coming back. Let's stand to our feet as we close in worship this morning. <clears throat>